1: Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to I am Radio Magazine. The nation's longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show. Out front and out loud since 1974, when I was three years old. Were you really? You're actually giving your real age? No. I was not even a zygote. I was not even a thought in my 20-year-old parents in 1974, and I'm Carrie Harrison. And I'm Steve Pride. And I'm actually lying. What? But that Does is I who I right? am.
2: Well, I want to explain why we're here. Oh, go ahead. Abby Dees is in London. Uh Winslow is in Orlando with his father crammed in a small hotel room waiting for a wedding. Boy, that sounds like fun. You were gracious enough to come down and help me out tonight.
1: I am gracious.
2: And you are one of my favorite radio journalists. I can't get enough of you. No, thank you.
1: Thank you. Glad
2: to be here. Glad to be here with everyone. Tonight we'll talk to Nathan Maskey, founder of
1: I'm From Driftwood, the LGBTQ story archive. And Abby Dees ponders an annoying question, other than my annoying voice. And that annoying question is the same one that same-sex Couples, invariably, are being asked. Matthew McLaughlin takes us to the closing of the Roosterfish Bar in Venice, California. Uh, No more free drinks for me. It's a death in Venice. Well, boy, is it. It's a sad one, too. All those straight people have no place to drink anymore. And we're going to talk live in studio to the Jim Anzide, owner of Out and About Tours, Hollywood's first and only gay bus tour.
2: But first, the national and international news from This Way Out.
3: (music) I'm Michael Lebeau. And I'm Tanya Kane-Perry.
0: With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBT communities around the world
3: for the week ending September 10, 2016. A citizen's petition has been circulating in Finland to overturn the legislature's enactment in 2014 of a bill making civil marriage gender neutral, although the law is not scheduled to take effect until March 1, 2017. The move to open civil marriage to lesbian and gay couples itself grew out of a citizen's petition in favor of such a change in the law. As of this newscast date, Parliament has not yet responded to the petition to repeal the law. In a related story, the Bishop's Conference of the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Finland, the country's official national church, decided this week to prohibit pastors from blessing or officiating the weddings of same-gender couples when the law comes into force. They pointed to the church handbook, which defines marriage as between one man and one woman. However, the bishop said that pastors could still pray with and for all couples who have entered into a civil marriage. The church has even provided its pastors with guidelines for conducting such prayers for same-gender couples. Church members will include married same-sex couples after 1 March 2017, the official edict emphasized. The church is for everyone. Same-sex couples shall be treated as families, even though they have not entered into marriage in accordance with church law. Two pastors have already announced that they intend to defy the bishops by marrying gay and lesbian couples when the civil marriage equality law takes effect.
0: The Associated Press reported late this week that lawmakers on the Dutch Caribbean island of Aruba have created registered civil unions for gay and lesbian couples that will give them all the benefits of heterosexual marriage. They specifically include the right to a spouse's pension after death and the right to make emergency medical decisions on each other's behalf. Aruba is one of the constituent countries that makes up the Kingdom of the Netherlands. Lesbian and gay couples have been able to legally marry in the Netherlands itself since 2001. Aruba couples have been able to marry in the Netherlands and have their marriage certificate recognized at home under a law obligating recognition of official documents throughout the kingdom. Aruba is located in the Southern Caribbean Sea, about 18 miles or 29 kilometers off the northern
3: coast of Venezuela. In late-breaking U.S. news this week... A New Jersey appeals court has reversed the 2012 conviction of then Rutgers University student, Darun Ravi, for invading the privacy of his closeted gay roommate, Tyler Clementi, by secretly recording Clementi's sexual liaisons with another man in their dorm room and posting the video online. An outed and humiliated Clementi jumped to his death a few days later from the nearby George Washington Bridge. Ravi was also convicted of bias intimidation, but the appellate court said that the jury's decision to convict him of that charge was predicated on a law that is now constitutionally defunct. After Ravi's 2012 conviction, the New Jersey Supreme Court, in a separate case, struck down part of the state's anti-bias crime statute that focused on the victim's state of mind, ruling that the defendant's state of mind was more important. His attorney, Steve Altman, told reporters that Darun Ravi, whatever he did or didn't do, had no homophobic motive involved. The court decided that Ravi could not have received fair treatment in the original trial because bias evidence permeated it. But it also ordered a new trial on several other counts of invasion of privacy and tampering with evidence, writing that the social environment that transformed a private act of sexual intimacy into a grotesque, voyeuristic spectacle must be unequivocally condemned in the strongest possible way. The state has 20 days from the September 9th ruling to appeal to the New Jersey Supreme Court. Ravi has already served a sentence of 30 days at the Middlesex County Adult Correctional Center, released after 20 days for good behavior, along with three years on probation, community service, and a $10,000 fine.
0: Also in late breaking news this week, the Associated Press reports that Chelsea Manning, the transgender U.S. Army private imprisoned at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, for leaking classified information to the WikiLeaks website, has gone on a hunger strike until she gets the adequate medical treatment she needs. Manning, then known as Bradley, was convicted in 2013 in a military trial of leaking more than 70,000, often embarrassing or worse, secret Army and State Department documents. She's been denied important transition-related care in the military brig since her incarceration. In the statements supplied to the AP by her ACLU attorneys, Manning said that starting September 9th, She would not voluntarily consume anything except water and prescription medication until she receives the minimum standards of dignity, respect, and humanity, and that she is prepared for the possibility of dying. According to the wire service, Army spokesman Wayne Hall said he was looking into the situation. That's News Wrap for the week ending September 10th, 2016. Produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles.
3: Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Tanya Kane perry And I'm Michael Lebeau.
2: Remember, you can hear all 30 commercial-free minutes of This Way Out on the podcast at thiswayout.org and on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher.
1: <laughs> well, Stitcher. Stitcher. I like Stitcher. And I'm from Driftwood. The LGBTQ P story archive was launched by Nathan Manske in 2009 to help LGBTQ people learn all more about their community. Stray people learn more about their neighbors. And everyone learn more about themselves through the power of storytelling and story sharing. Steve Pride reports.
2: Maya Angelou once said, There is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. Luckily, a friend of mine in New York City has made it his mission to preserve and share your
4: story. My name is Nathan Maskey, and I'm the founder and executive director of I'm From Driftwood, the LGBTQ Story Archive. It's an online archive of first-person LGBTQ stories from all different people, all different places, all different cultures, communities, and backgrounds. And the purpose of all the stories in the archive is to help queer people, particularly in small towns, feel not so alone. And I say particularly because isolation is not Exclusive to geography. It's more of a personal feeling, and you can feel isolated and alone as a gay person here in Midtown Manhattan. You know, it doesn't have to be Driftwood, Texas, but uh, the idea is that if you feel alone in whatever you're going through, wherever you are or whoever you are, that you're not. You're not alone. And there's a great big community out there who has experienced a lot of similar situations and stories that you're going through. So that's it in a nutshell.
2: Why is it called
4: I'm from Driftwood? I saw the film "Milk" in 2008 when it first came out the day after seeing it, I was thinking about a popular photograph of Harvey Milk. He's in the San Francisco Pride March, and he's holding this sign that says "I'm from Woodmere, New York." And I was thinking of that photograph and thinking like, "Why are you saying you're from Woodmere, New York, where it is a town that most people have never even heard of. You know it 's this town on Long Island." And everyone associates him with San Francisco. You know, the first openly gay elected official in San Francisco, Harvey Milk, is synonymous with San Francisco. What that meant to me is that he, like so many other people, aren't from these big gay meccas. They're not from New York City. They're not from San Francisco. They're from these towns. And myself, I live in New York, but I'm not from here. I'm from Driftwood, which is a very small town in Texas. So... I felt like it was a passing of the baton. Harvey Milk and that simple statement saying he's from Woodmere, New York made me think of this idea that we're from everywhere and we are everyone. And here I am in New York City, but I'm from Driftwood. And all the storytellers start their story by saying where they're from, just to continue furthering that idea that you're not alone. Tell me about the collection. When we first started out, it was only written stories. And I had very simple guidelines. And basically it was, it has to be A story. It can't be a diary entry about your thoughts on marriage equality. It has to be something that happened to you. It has to have a story arc and it has to be a true story from yourself involving you being LGBT. And the only times that I ever didn't post an entry was if it wasn't a story. And I'd email the author back and explain to them just can you resubmit? But you mentioned this. Can you actually tell me how that affected your life personally? So I just make sure that people actually submitted real stories. And It was soon after I launched that one of my really good friends, now one of my best friends, and he's on our board of directors, Marquis, he had the idea of doing a video story. And he basically said, why don't we sit down with people? They tell you their story and I'll edit it into a three to five minute video story. And we did two in one weekend, and it just turned out great. And now it's actually become the main focus of the site. So every Wednesday we post a new video story, so it's become a weekly video story program. And we still get written stories, but they're not as prominently featured on the site, just because people have really attached themselves to the video stories.
2: Where do you gather
4: the stories Once we started doing video stories, we were collecting stories mostly from people who are living here in New York City. And then Marquise lives in Philadelphia, so I would travel there. It's a two-hour bus ride, easy commute, and get some stories from Philly. What's great about New York and Philly are people move to New York and Philly a lot from other places. So we were still capturing stories from people from all over, but consistently they all made the decision to move to a big city. And I wanted to get stories from people who maybe didn't make that decision. So that's where the idea of the 50-state story tour came from. I wanted to go out to these other towns and cities outside of New York or the Northeast and get stories from LGBTQ people in Idaho and Kansas and, of course, Texas and all these other towns and cities. Or even if it's in New York, what about another city or town in New York? And so that was late 2010, early 2011 that we did that. So it took four months. We drove to 48 states and flew to Hawaii and Alaska, but it was going to each town and, and even the way we get stories here, we work with different organizations. So we'll call or email P Flag or 40 to None, which is part of Cindy Lopper's True Colors Fund. So we work with other organizations and basically say, Hey, look, we're a story archive. We want to collect stories. So do you have any storyteller from your organization or somebody that you helped doing the work that you do that we can get their story and then we can direct people to you who might need your services. So using 40 to None as an example, they help homeless LGBT youth. And they found us a storyteller. We got their story and then had their logo on at the end with a link to them. So if anyone watches this story, they kind of pick up where the story leaves off. What's the hardest part of the project? One thing that I hate the most of all the things that I ever hear that I've done with I'm from Driftwood is when people tell me they don't have a story. I'll nearly pull my hair out. I'm just like, everyone has a story. Whether your story is boring, that's the most common. Oh, my story is boring. It's like, no, it's not. It might be boring to you. But if your are coming out was just all roses and wonderful and you just gated right on through it and your parents were accepting, that's actually really inspiring for people to know that there's a bright future coming for us. And then the opposite, but kind of in the same vein, is if somebody says their story is too negative and they want to share something happy. But sharing the negative stories are... Equally, if not more important than the positive stories, because it shows that either a struggle still exists or it shows how bad it was, but how much better it's gotten. And also, someone might be going through that same story. What if somebody shares a story that says, Oh, I wasted my whole life and I came out at 80? What if someone is 79 and they're still in the closet? What if they could get one year back that the other person didn't? What if they're 12 years old and they hear that and they're like, Oh, I shouldn't waste my life. Sharing our stories is the most powerful tool that not just the LGBT community could do, but anyone can do. And everyone has that power to share their story and make a difference in people's lives by sharing it. Why is this the right time for I'm from Driftwood? Forever, for the rest of history, there will never be a bigger gap between the experiences of the elders and the youth. Because people who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, it was a completely different world for them. And right now we have people who are in their 70s and 80s who were arrested for dancing with people of the same gender. At the same time, at this moment in time, we have people who are coming out as transgender at four years old. It's nearly impossible to imagine that difference and that the gap between the differences will never be wider. And I really want to capture that like a snapshot.
2: You're even planning a new project focusing on this gap. How will that work?
4: The way I want to do that is by having younger listeners listen to the older storytellers. And that's mutually beneficial because the younger generation gets to listen to these wise men as it would have been in the past. And also the older people get it finally for once, especially they of all people, have lived such closeted lives or more so than the rest of us. And they get to understand the value of their own story and pass their story on, and and have that feeling of, no matter what their life was like, that their story now matters, and the younger LGBT people truly do value their stories and their lives.
2: How can a listener share their story?
4: Just go to ifromdriftwood.com, click share your story, and then click share your video story, and fill out the form, and we have somebody in Los Angeles who's a fantastic videographer and editor, and he will come to you and get your story.
2: This has been a conversation with Nathan Mansky, founder of I'm From Driftwood. This is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening.
3: All of these lines across my face tell you the story away. So many stories away. Got no one to tell them to it's true I was made for you
1: Find more information and I'm from driftwood.com. Well, you know, I love any time any of us gets under the spotlight, whether it's on network television, cable television, premium channels, and get a chance. As we do. Well, as as many of us do. I mean, we're in the right town for that for sure, and gets a chance to be in the limelight and talk about that experience. Because otherwise, if all we are is a closeted (laughs) Tom Cruise type of person, not that he's closeted, not even remotely. Uh, for, suggesting for that, in r- any way, reasons we have to be sure that you are clear about that. W- w- we're not even clear. We're unclear. We're opaque. But he's clear because he does that machine that makes him clear. What, whatever his thing is, but there are other people who seem to have, uh, let's say, congruency with their nature or integrity. Mm-hmm. And it is still a brave act in 2016 to come out of the closet. Yes. Uh, much as it is for anybody with a secret that could damage them, just ten miles from here, sit in West Covina. You know, two guys having dinner in a restaurant, maybe it's not that safe, especially if you want to get a job in the industry, which is still kind of tricky. Why? Because agents are afraid to sell a thing where they have to explain what you are. And it's not that somebody, let's just imagine somebody a star like a Tom Cruise at that level, a movie star like a Tom Cruise at that level. you know, it would be dangerous because he's always playing a leading man, osculating with women. You've seen a Mm. It's a nice word for kissing. I'm sorry, looking that up. Yes, which could cause a herpetic outbreak if it were the oh wrong person we with whom you were. Oh my our verbal game tonight. Well, I find that 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 clinical conversation you can actually get away with a lot more.
2: I mean, I'm you're a TV star because I know you're on the new show, looking for Prince Charming or finding Prince Charming or something. I already know. did. I, already found it. Already done yeah, it.
1: Yeah, it's a, a reindeer Chihuahua. Oh my. Yep. Monogamous relationship, no STDs, and I only have to feed it twice a day. I'm involved with Chihuahua
2: also. That's a coincidence.
1: <laughs> In Mexico?
2: No, no. This is an actual four legged Chihuahua. Ah,
1: see, I was just kidding.
2: Oh. Sadly, I'm not. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm going home for the little dog. Well, let's reintroduce ourselves.
1: Harrison with you, Steve Pride. This is, of course, IMRU, as in the initials, IMRU. And uh, we were just listening to a story about, uh, I'm Driftwood. And as you said, so smartly, Steve, driftwood.com. I'm from driftwood.com is where people can go. Now, whether you're gay or lesbian or there's one annoying question... There is one annoying question. (laughs) Yes. That every same-sex couple... Are you day-drinking again? Day-drinking. I haven't day-drunk in 26 years. Oh, look at Miss B in
2: the the thing going, she's dancing for us. What are you doing in
1: there, girl? Fine. You know what? I am RU's. Abby D's has some real thoughts on that icky question.
5: It happened again. Some friends asked my partner, Tracy, and me, is one of you like more the man in the relationship? This question doesn't upset me, but it's still weird. After all, I've always thought Tracy and I were pretty much on the same spot on the gender continuum. But people keep asking, is one of you the man? Here's what prompted it this time. I put pictures up on Facebook of Tracy and me at a she fundraiser. Tracy wore a print dress, and I wore black cigarette pants and a tailored blouse. We both wore makeup and heels, though if we're nitpicking, mine were just kitten heels. Now there are any number of reasons why I wasn't wearing a dress, beyond the basic fact that my outfit totally rocked. Among those reasons, I'm deathly white, and legs, pantyhose, and suntan shade went out of style, if they ever were in style, in the 80s. Another reason is that I have a nasty scar on my shin from walking into a broken flower pot. And dresses give my rather cylindrical body a chintz-draped pink column look. Not included in this list is anything having to do with gender roles. But in fairness to my friends, they didn't ask just because of that one picture. They'd noticed that most of the time, when they see Tracy, she's in makeup and clothes straight from the dry cleaners. I'm usually in jeans. Maybe lipstick and sunblock. Maybe. So it's not so off the wall for them to wonder if there's something more to this than fashion. What's funny, though, is that they are as much flouters of traditional roles as we are, which is one of the things we love about them. In other words, they're a typical modern straight couple, two generations out from mandatory boy-girl conformity. What I get from this is a reminder of just how deeply worn the gender expectation grooves still are, even if real life has much more room for variety. Like, to me, more obvious questions about Tracy's and my personal style choices might be, Abby, are you a lazy, ADD-addled slug in the morning? Or, Abby... Do you just not accept the fact that you're a grown-up now and should probably dress like one? I would have to answer yes to both those questions. But for the sake of argument, let's say that there is something to this question of Tracy's and my gender roles. After all, we're not any more immune to those expectations than my friends are. It's the model we all grew up with in some way or another about how couples are expected to interact. Is one of us more like a typical man or woman than the other? Honestly... I'd have to say yes. It looks like this. When it comes to heaving bags of fertilizer to the backyard and grumbling afterwards about how she shouldn't have done that to her back, Tracy's the man. When it comes to wiring a stereo or fixing the computer, I'm the man, and Tracy's the woman making endless suggestions over my shoulder that I try to ignore. When it comes to making charts of finances and household numbers, Tracy's the man, and I'm definitely the ditzy platinum blonde but when it comes to picking up old socks and underpants from the floor and wondering if Tracy even notices, oh, I am so the woman. However, when it comes to being patient with a curling iron and mascara, Tracy's the total woman, and I'm the man, forever striving to bring my morning grooming ritual in under two minutes. And when it comes to emotional communication, Tracy's the monosyllabic man, and I'm the harumphing woman. But Tracy's still got those big, delicate, girly feelings. Does that answer the question? This is Abby Deese, and this commentary was based on my syndicated column, Thinking Out Loud, distributed by Q Syndicate.
2: Well, that's an interesting question that I've gotten myself. When you're two guys, who's the man? Who's the woman?
1: But you know, it's interesting because, of course, they're going to say who's the man, who's the woman, because that's the normal dynamic. Like you have a Edison plug, you have a male and a female, and therefore, if you have two guys, somebody has to be the woman. A secret June Cleaver, throwing pearls over her neck. But the whole point is it's two guys. Otherwise, why would you want to be together? If you want a girl, get a real one. But the problem is the real one may actually want to have a, a guy that wants to have a physical relationship hmm. in that way. So it creates a problem. But this is why they make these, um, you know, a steely Dan's. Uh, especially for our lesbian sisters. Steely Dan. So that one of them can be... Do you remember the the group, Steely Dan? Uh, Yeah. Do you know what what Steely Dan was? No.
2: Oh, well. Well, maybe you should tell me later off the air. Yes. Still to come is a death in Venice as the iconic roosterfish bar closes its
1: doors. It's so sad. It's so sad. The good news, roosterfish may be gone, but there is a rooster who's... I'm not even going to go with that metaphor. At yeah, this I don't point. think you do that. Let's 10. just say the chicken coop is filled with exotic treats. So you're into chicken? Is that what you're no, saying? I'm gonna no, I'm going to say what you're soon we're going to hear from Jim Anzide, <laughs> who is pro- the Jim well, He is probably the greatest single living LGBT historian you know about. He L-
2: people that he's single. That's really kind of rude.
1: Well, he's not. Are you in an open relationship? We'll get to that in just a minute. Open? Oh, my God. We're going deep on this one. You know, I've been impeccably clean and high-minded here. You, Steve I've
2: got something I need to say.
6: Yes.
1: Don't go away. We'll be right back.
6: Walt Whitman, father of modern American literature, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. Walt Whitman was born in 1819 in Long Island. Receiving only five years of schooling, he apprenticed himself as a printer. He recorded observations in notebooks, which evolved into the poems published in 1855 as Leaves of Grass. Because they lacked meter and rhyme, and a number spoke of homosexual desire, the poems were considered scandalous. While in Washington, Whitman met Peter Doyle, who said, quote, We were awful close together, your relationship would last for the rest of Whitman's life. Although he remained closeted, he gave voice to same-sex desire and inspired many in the modern gay rights movement. Whitman's persona was best described by a fellow poet in 1882, quote, He is the grandest man I have ever seen, the simplest, most natural, and strongest character I have ever met in my life, said Oscar Wilde. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios at WRAR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Mike Heinerman.
0: Hi, I'm Chaz Bono, and you're listening to IMRU Radio Magazine, out loud and proud since 1974, on KPFK FM 90.7 Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 93.7 San Diego, 99.5 Ridgecrest China Lake, and streaming online at kpfk.org. I-
5: The year, 1977, the right to decency rally. The issue, can the state of Indiana arrest homosexuals and put them in prison? The speaker, Miss Anita Bryant.
0: God hates homosexuals, and God wants homosexuals punished, If man will not punish homosexuals, then God will punish man. In fact, the drought in California was a result of the state being more tolerant of homosexuals than other places in the country.
5: Miss Bryant, are you saying the presence of homosexuals causes droughts? Yes. Then would it be possible, if a region is experiencing floods, to stop the rain? By bussing in a lot of homosexuals.
0: Yes, that would work.
5: This
6: is Walter
5: Cronkite. And that's the way it was.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to IMRU Radio. I'm Steve Pride. And I'm
1: Carrie Harrison.
2: The Roosterfish, that funky gay bar that was a landmark on Abbott Kinney Avenue Boulevard in Venice Beach for nearly 40 years. Closed its doors a few months ago after a huge rent hike from the landlord. Actually, it was huge Huge, Like Donald Trump. Huge.
1: Huge. Yeah, yeah. What a loss. IMRU's Matthew McLaughlin was there closing night and files this report.
7: While Venice, California, has always been home to freaks, failures, and the fabulous, the roosterfish has been the LGBT community's West Side Clubhouse since its establishment in 1979. But the tide has turned as Venice has been eaten alive by hipsters and the ultra rich in search of exotic donuts, artisan ice cream, and coffee made in beakers and served by dandy steampunks. Long-time residents have watched in horror as their best-kept secret, Abbott Kinney Boulevard, has gone from being a quaint shortcut from one side of town to the other, peppered with favorite mom-and-pop shops and eateries, to a co-opted brand worn like a new suit by the unending flow of pop-up shops and buzzy new retail establishments, few of which seem to last long. In the last few years, we've watched Abbott Kinney Boulevard staples disappear. Joe's Restaurant, Hal's, the Tortilla Grill, And now, facing a quadrupling of their monthly rent, the Roosterfish is the last in line to close its doors, leaving longtime patrons and fans of the dive bar on the street without a central headquarters. I stopped by the Roosterfish on its last day of operation to talk to clientele about the bar closing, some of their favorite memories, and some tips and tricks they've learned along the way.
4: It's definitely gonna be missed. I mean, everyone's been talking about it, but
7: it's it's a shame. It's the only bar on the west side, you know?
8: We got to know each other, and more than just regulars, because every bar has its regulars, but I think we learned snippets of people's stories. I I don't think I ever experienced that at another bar.
6: We're losing just such a history of of memories, and um, it's sad to see it go. Um, There'll probably never be another place on this side of town like this,
4: um, but what do you do? I hate it.
8: You know, this has been home for well, since '84, like, when I started working here. You know, anytime I ever, I do construction, anytime I went out of town and worked for a long time or whatever, this was always coming home.
6: It's really a family here. I mean, it always has been. I mean, we've met friends, uh, our extended family, uh, playmates, and life partners forever, and it just is. Is there's no place quite like it. It's going to be really sad to see it go.
3: I'm very excited to be here on this closing day. Um, it's so great that it's been around for, I think, 30 plus years. I've been a local resident for about 20, so I'm really happy it's been around. And I hope to see it pop up somewhere else.
6: Everyone knows each other, and you just feel so comfortable here and so welcomed here. And it's, you know, I've been coming here for, you know, 37 years, and yeah, you know, all my friends. Yeah, we're not going to have a place just to meet, you know. It's, it's going to be uh, difficult.
8: Honestly, it was the only bar where they had all their inventory. Out within the public's view and so Johnny taught me the trick of pretend you're interested in either the fool game or interested in who's picking the songs in the jukebox and you sit down and you just very surreptitiously open the the flap of one of them and you pull out the warm beer it was always it it was gonna be warm no matter what but in your early 20s you didn't really discriminate about what sort of beer you were gonna get you know, I have lots and of, lots, of, lots of fond memories. I actually came out at the Roosterfish, so it's a, my memories all began there as a gay man and I met my first boyfriend um, ever
6: at the Roosterfish. So lots of fond memories.
7: A lot of first loves there, from what I've heard.
3: I met my girlfriend here, so I'm really happy it's a very special place.
6: Favorite or most interesting memory would be probably in about 1981. And they had a casino night here, and there was a tiger, <laughs> a live tiger, <laughs> chained in this area, right, right where we are now. Yeah, they had set up like roulette tables and you know the whole deal, and they had um, soap opera stars, and it was like a fundraiser for AIDS. It was really fun.
1: I'm always going to remember the bathroom walls and ceiling. Yeah, Won't we
6: all? Right. Oh my God, I remember dragging out this girl who was so drunk and uh, she she wouldn't leave. Then she kind of almost passed out, but she clung to the pinball machine. For you youngsters, the pinball machine was this ancient machine. And uh, I dragged her by her feet. She held on, the pinball kind of went with her. And it was just hilarious. I mean, that's just one of many.
8: I had to go out in the patio during the day because... It just turns into something different at night, but it was definitely, like, for me, like, the quintessential, and it was just, this was before day drinking was, like, a thing that people would post about, but, like, just hang out on the patio and, like, drinking beers around for not on a weekday, but on a weekend, you know?
6: I flew all the way back from Orlando to make sure I was here for one last Margarita Wednesday and for the closing tonight. Are you going to make it until 2 a.m.? I am going to. I'm probably going to go home and take a short disco nap because I'm not the age I was when I walked in here the first time, but I will definitely be back for last call.
4: I think it's depressing. Yeah. Yeah, it's really sad. Yeah, it's just another great, authentic institution that, you know, is a part of the original part of the neighborhood that's just being cast away. Just put to the side. There's going to be some sort of generic Banana Republic, Gap, Starbucks, some official place, and I'm I'm bummed. I'm sad.
8: And I mean, it's changed. I mean, even back in 1997, the joke between you and me and probably Johnny was like, oh no, now the West, you know, the the Hill Queens have discovered it. And so it was this weird thing where like, all of a sudden all the people that stuck out like sore thumbs were being invaded by people who didn't really give a dish, and, and so it sort of diluted the entire experience. What made it the cool Venice that it was. You know, it's pretty much gone. Yeah. You know, all the decent old shops are gone. You know, prices have gone nuts. And, you know, it just sucks. It's not the same anymore at all. Uh, it's not the same place to come home to. Oh, also, and not bragging or anything, but like, from all the different cities I've lived in, I think I got laid more from the roosterfish than any other bar. I mean, it was hit or miss, but still, at least people were open to the idea.
7: Is this a favorite roosterfish memory?
6: Yes, it's it's a really good one. I was here, some guy was in here, I picked him up, I took him back to the Roman holiday, and we both had jeans on, and you know my teeth come out. So I put him in his pocket by mistake. Uh, <laughs> so when he went to the Piggly Wiggly or whatever to pull out his change of money, he had my teeth. It's <laughs> always a good way to and get it I, And I never saw him again. Oh, no. <laughs> I think he was straight. Uh, yeah. But I did him.
7: Hey, gift with
6: purchase.
7: <laughs> yeah. When the doors closed and locked at the rooster fish that night, the staff stayed for a few hours, probably counting the money from that last banner day of business, but more likely helping to get rid of any leftover hooch and commiserating. The crowd had gathered outside at the corner of Cadiz and Abbott Kinney, and it didn't dissipate like it did on most nights. It looked like refugees centering around a life raft, maybe afraid to leave for the last time, or maybe just not sure where to go, but certainly not ready for the party to end. Neither was I. What I may have failed to mention at the start of this piece, in a thinly veiled attempt to not become part of the story, is that the roosterfish is very much a part of my story, as I've lived above the bar for the last 20 years, and have truly known Abbott Kinney as my home. And if the roosterfish wasn't home, it was certainly the place where I knew everybody knew my name, and it was certainly where I was going to run if I was ever choking on a bite of steak or had severed a finger while cutting vegetables. So I put my speakers in my front window overlooking the sidewalk and decided to keep that party going by cranking the gay bar stage song you're hearing now last dance by miss donna summer it led to an impromptu dance party in the street where everyone's partner was the big aqua building that smelled like old citrus and stale beer it seemed right to let her take the lead since she was always there by us beside us and to guide us there to hold us and scold us when we were bad because she was always so so good goodbye and good night sweet roosterfish and thank you for the friends and memories for imru i'm matthew mclaughlin
2: I have never been to the rooster fish and I guess it's too late now.
1: Yeah, it is. Unless you want to have a condo.
2: Well, Maddie, as you mentioned, lives above that bar. I always thought that was so cool that if I was gonna be here in LA and I was a fictional character, I would live above like a gay bar. Uh
1: that thump 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 means oh, you will not. not ever sleep, sleep, well, sleep.
2: Y- you live in a cool place too though.
1: I do, I do. I'm in Marilyn Monroe's very first apartment. Is it haunted? I had Senator Al Simpson in there at the ripe old age of 86 a couple of years ago, and he was having an experience. Think about it. When he was in his prime, a young man, she would have been in the movie theaters on the screens, 50 feet tall, spilling her her chesticles right onto the screen back during the McCarthy era where everything was forbidden. It wasn't even I Love Lucy yet. Nobody did nothing. Women and men slept in twin beds, and men were having this private experience with Marilyn Monroe on the big screen. So here you get a geezer like Al Simpson in there, and he's groping the walls, and it was kind of fun to watch. Wow, that's history. And what a segue into Jim Anzide. It is. Yeah. Let, let me just tell you... Uh, Hollywood history. Hollywood history. Jim Anzide is really well-known throughout Los Angeles because he is really the guy who created... We've all seen the TMZ tours. We go down to downtown Hollywood. We've seen these horrific buses full of drunken people throwing up and vomiting over the side. This is not what we're talking about, by the way.
2: No, and those are fake for the most part. They make that crap yeah. up as it's thrown in
1: the yeah, 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 yeah. So you have a guy who's truly educated and has studied his whole life on this... He he created a special LGBT tour because believe it or not, Hollywood, all those actors you've seen on the screen going back from the nineteen twenties up to now, including all sorts of other places, were filled with people with let's say appetites. It doesn't mean they were gay, it doesn't mean they were anything, but they did a lot of things. That's what his tour is. And Jim Anside, we want to welcome you to IMRU. Thank you so much for now, having me here, you, guys.
9: I really appreciate it.
1: You have joined up with a nonprofit called The Lavender Effect, and, and people can check it out while listening to you, thelavendereffect.org. That's thelavendereffect.org. Did I happen to mention thelavendereffect.org? What's I know, it called? Thelavendereffect.org, and they are the oral history project, much like Steven Spielberg's Shoah Foundation, where he recorded some 70,000 Holocaust survivors, so that nobody could say it never happened. Likewise, the Lavender Effect records the oral histories of gay and lesbians who actually existed for real. I know, they really actually existed. Many of them have gotten old. Many have been on this show. And bisexual and
9: transgender as well.
1: uh, Or trisexual, they'll try anything. (laughs) Quadrisexual, do it for a quarter. Well, it's all there and it's all available. I'm not saying that. That that's what's going on. What I am saying is, in
9: your tour, we do see about quadrosexuals and trisexuals, don't we? It's a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, you know, we merged with the Lavender Effect just a couple of years ago because we felt like we were both doing uh the same thing but so differently. Yeah. And that our partnership would be perfect together. And uh yeah, we get to do uh some walking tours. We do a downtown walking tour, we do a walking tour in Hollywood. This October we'll yeah. be doing our first uh West Hollywood walking tour. But you get to see some places that still exist today. Um like one of the first bath houses that was open up in downtown Los Angeles that's still open today. Is that the clit? The clit spelled bath with a K house. spelled with a K. K L Y T Yes or maybe it's, it's pronounced Clite. It's not what? an acronym. It's not anyone's name. We still don't know what it is. We've tried yes. to research this on many, many levels. Uh, but yes, the clipped slash clay bathhouse is still operating, and it was as a bath bathhouse as a bathhouse. Oh my god! Uh, it's, it's mostly blue collar Latino now, but yeah. yes, twenty four seven bathhouse. Just to be clear,
1: um, if you're maybe of a certain age, either very young or considerably older, you may think a bathhouse is where one goes for a bath. You definitely get a bath in there, um, and it may be a salivary bath for all we know. But was this not Rock Hudson's uh, special bathhouse where he used to go and have had, his bath?
9: Yeah, they said that he had his own key <gasps> and would enter through the back door, no pun intended. So to speak. Uh, so to speak. Uh, but yes, and, and a lot of celebrities had to do that as well. It was actually safer mm-hmm. to go to a place like that to meet someone. Is that M-E-A-T than- or M-E-E-T? Uh, <laughs> a little bit of both. And, and all the potatoes you can handle. and uh, But it was safer to go to a place like that than yeah. to meet somebody in a bar because right. LAPD was just all over the place, and they would quite frequently um, you know, arrest people for being homosexual in a bar or in a restaurant.
1: Now, this is a fascinating story because a lot of us don't know that the LAPD was among the worst in the world for crackdowns just if you were
9: suspected of being gay. Give us the run-through. This is all part of your tour. Their M.O. was basically entrapment. Uh So they would just um, send what they called a Hollywood reject into a bathroom or a bar scenario. And a Hollywood reject was a great-looking, smooth-talking guy that Uh worked for the vice department. And all he had to say was, Hey, how are you doing tonight? And all you had to do was answer him back and be like, Great, how are you? And handcuffs could go on. They went further in... um, Sometimes introducing glory holes into bathrooms in uh, restaurants Steve, and bars. Steve's not sure what a glory hole is. Oh, no, no, I, I watched
2: the thing about mining in the Yukon. I know what a glory hole oh, is, where okay. you find the, the, the gold. It's
9: the glory hole. <laughs> Alrighty then, right? Okay. It's, exactly. Just put your hand in the hole and find some glory. And there inside. it is. But they used to actually try to entice men to put their appendages through the yes. glory hole, and then they would mark them with indelible ink. And what would happen is if that person escaped, they would just catch them, take them downtown, and say... You know, uh, show us, show us. So so one
1: would have to proffer one's proboscis (laughs) like Michael Jackson did with the spots on it or vitiligo or whatever it was.
9: Quite possibly, or like George Michael. But yes, the the mark, the proof is right there. So you were your own Hester Prynne. You were. And your your Scarlet A kept you in your jail cell for about six months. You would lose your job. You would lose your insurance. And your name was published on the front page of the LA Times. Uh, the, the, the one section, the social section on Sunday morning. <laughs>
1: social section.
9: Like, yeah. and so Mrs.
1: Vanderbilt had a lovely cocktail party and then Timmy. Which which you're right. It's public. So the L.A. Times, very interestingly, as we talked to Jim Anzide, Jim Anzide runs Out and About Tours. They're launching a brand new first-time-ever one. Next month in October, the first-ever real one through West Hollywood, which has not only assorted history, but a remarkable political history of very progressive stuff. All of that is included in the lavender effect in uh, the Out and About Tours. Interestingly enough, the L.A. Times has a long history of working with the cops. What? Wait a minute! The Fourth Estate working with the cops to imagine? actually
9: it, uh, harass people and destroy their careers. This is part of your tour. Yeah, they were uh, the LAPD was in bed with the LA Times, and there were actually two pre-Stonewall revolts that took place in uh-huh. Los Angeles. Uh-huh. One at a donut shop downtown, and of course the black oh, cat. Was that and where and the Stone cops hang like. out in the donut shops? Well, yeah, it's part of the reason, I guess. <laughs> they wanted to catch all of the uh, you know after-hours. Uh, sort of shenanigans going on. But two times, you know, we predate Stonewall, but no one knew that because the L.A. Times made, uh, I mean, the LAPD made sure the L.A. Times did not let that story out. They did not want to be known as the city who was allowing these types of revolts to take place. Uh, famously,
1: uh, we've all hiked in Runyon Canyon before, uh, places where, er- didn't Errol Flynn have his pad there with a bunch of little bungalows and in the 1920s? Um, You know, they had Hollywood parties, don't ask, don't tell, don't look, famously the Hearst Castle, which we've all visited and seen that magnificent erection uh, pointing up <laughs> over the coast there. Um, you weren't allowed to have drinkies there, but you brought your own booze, and then That erection can be seen from space. From space, yes. So all of this stuff has got – don't look through the window at me like that. There's somebody looking through the – like I'm a goldfish. (laughs) See the fins? See the fins? Yeah, okay. You're a gorgeous goldfish. They've lost interest. (laughs) This is very interesting, though, because so much of Hollywood is predicated on people's expression. Expression and while in the privacy of the Hollywood Hills, Hollyweird Hills, people did whatever they could get away with. But if they went into public areas, bars and whatever, they were constantly
9: raided too. Didn't you have to have secret knocks back then, handshakes, handkerchiefs? But once again, it was actually safer to meet in a public place like Pershing Square or uh, any of the, um, you know, Water uh, Echo Lake Park, uh, West Lake, East Lake, because believe it or not, there was less of a chance uh, of LAPD Vice catching you there.
2: Uh, I love that Pershing Square was the pickup place back in John Ritchie's day. That's where you went. And now we're having our proud festival again there.
9: Absolutely. They, they, there was actually, during World War II, it was said that uh, a serviceman could not find a date. He could always find a man who would service in Pershing Square. So Well, General Pershing, I'm sure, would be rolling <laughs> delightfully in his
1: grave. He's Harrison, saluting. with you, this is I Am RU. Steve Pryde sitting here. We're filling hey. in for uh, vacationing and uh, wedded people are about to be. Uh, we're talking to Jim Anzide. Jim Anzide is with Out and About Tours. They are part of thelavendereffect.org, thelavendereffect.org, introducing a brand new tour coming up in October. They currently do one throughout all of Los Angeles. Take you to go see the, the Clyte, uh, where Rock Hudson uh, enjoyed his private key in his personal cabin. You can see where that Disney magic went on, where Doris Day beat on the door and said you're late for dinner where ethel merman shrieked down the hallways all of it is (laughs) real and true you're only going to hear it through him because he is the the master of of those level of ceremonies and we look at, at how people got away with stuff it's certainly a different day now west hollywood was established because the lapd's jurisdiction ended where west hollywood now stands
9: that's why it was really there yeah, in, in 1984, when, uh, it became incorporated as the city of West Hollywood, uh, you know, people thought it just basically, you know, came to being around that yeah. time. Uh, you know, from the turn of the century, there were some of the first gay lesbian bars on the Sunset Strip that were all out of the jurisdiction of the LAPD. So unless your car had up somebody's, you know, the, the leg of a dead person hanging out the back, <laughs> LAPD couldn't follow <laughs> you down the strip. But, um, you know, that was back in the day when the lesbian bars were all yeah. about, um, ball gowns and cocktails and string quartets. Oh, bring it back. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was interesting because nobody, you know, there wasn't the lesbian feminism movement that came from World War II. Right. So it was a very different scene. And even for, um, you know, a lot of people, we talk about the pansy bars and stuff like that. There's still a place where there's a pansy club that on our Hollywood tour, um, one of the locations. And basically the pansy clubs were underground bars that were serving alcohol and cocaine uh, during Prohibition, but there was a lot of uh, transgender entertainment that was going on, really exciting. And the, and the stars from the studios wanted to get out of the studios as soon as they could to see who was performing as them tonight. Well, and wasn't the one of the most richest
1: people in Los Angeles a drag queen who's huge mansion
9: still sits somewhere in Silver Lake? Um, Julian L. Tinge uh, was a female impersonator and he was being paid about $1.5 million while the average family was bringing home about $12 a week. Um, And his home via Capistrano still overlooks uh, Silver Lake today. Wow, wow. Yeah, amazing. We have a great deal just for your, uh, the listeners tonight. I, uh, If you go on our website um, at outandabouttours-tours.com or thelavendereffect.org slash tours, or you can, only, you can always call 1-844-GAY-TOUR. Um, 1-844-GAY-TOUR? If, 1-844-GAY-TOUR. Uh, if you give us a call, we have some upcoming tours and the launch of our West Hollywood tour on October 9th. And just say, I am uh, for $5 off.
2: Well, that's a great deal.
9: What was that number again? Uh, 844-GAY-TOUR. Uh, and that'll go to our checking agency, and you just mention IMRU, and that'll be $5 off uh, one of our upcoming or the tours. Or dot org slash tour. Slash tour, exactly. Easy enough for you.
2: Oh, slash, like a slash. I thought it was like slash like the Guns N' Roses tour. Okay.
9: Well, we don't have any gay history on Slash yet. Not yet. We're we're really out of
2: time right now, but I I cannot wait to take your tour. That sounds very exciting. What would be – and we asked another question, Ms. Beam, sorry. What would be my biggest surprise, you think, about WeHo?
9: Um, I I think you'd be surprised that there's a lot of history in your own little town that you know nothing about. Uh, It's kind of shocking. People are always continually amazed. They've lived here for 40, 50 years and said, I did not know that was happening here.
2: Well, go to that website and get your discount and go see this. This sounds fantastic. That's it for tonight. Hello,
1: <laughs> 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 Well, now that you're going to put it in that particular tone, you can find us online at imruradio.org, imruradio.org, and follow us on Facebook at imruradio, where the link to the latest show is posted every Tuesday afternoon. Well, maybe
2: a little later in the week this time, because our recording did not work. Uh, thanks to...
1: Tonight's director, Miss Barbecue. Thank you, by the way, Miss Barbecue. You've been to the clit, am I right? Yep, she's nodding yes, I've been there. Clyte, however it's pronounced, K-L-Y-T. It's pronounced it, you can look it up on Google. It is a, a commercial establishment in downtown uh, Los Angeles providing bathing, and uh, people can perform their ablutions there, whatever that might mean in the Bible. Uh, we also want to thank our our technical director, whose name is? Oh,
2: our board up is Lisette Tapa.
1: Thank you happy so happy much. Happy. And Brian Returns. What What does that mean? Our Rainbow Minute producers, Judd Proctor and Brian Burns.
2: And my thanks for my special (laughs) big worded.
1: That's me, like Donald Trump. Trump. Big words.
2: Harrison. Now tell us about you. You've got another show that we should be listening to. Yes,
1: actually, you can go uh, check me out. I have a new thing uh, on Wednesdays. Go to goharrison.com. GoHarrison.com. Click on the television link at GoHarrison.com, and you can see a variety of progressive, 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 kick-ass videos. Uh, it's radio with video and kick-ass guests, An saving the world. Video. One, yes, amazing color with stereophonic sound.
2: Okay, we're out of time. You know, I got to talk about this real quick. Yes. It's been a really rough couple of days for our tribe. Thursday, we lost transgender drag queen, author, actress, and my friend since the 70s, the Lady Chablis, who became a real icon late, late in life in the 90s. When the book and film Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil came out, she died of pneumonia at the age of
1: 59. I know. It was just begging for a political comment. That's
2: <laughs> it. But then Sunday.
1: Ah, uh, Sorry. <laughs> What page are we on?
2: Oh no no no! Sunday we lost transgender performer Alexis Arquette, who passed away at the age of 47 of complications related to AIDS. We want to dedicate the show to both of those yes, people tonight.
1: Yes, absolutely, and thank you so much, Jim Anzide, who came in tonight. Thank you so much for giving for us a great minute. history. Thank it. you, Steve Pride, for so pridefully and proudly being so prideful.
2: Thank you, and from the flirtations, we're to close the show with everything possible. Good night. You can
8: be anybody that you want to be. You can love whomever you will. You can travel any country where your heart leads and know I will love you still. You can live by yourself. You can gather friends around. You can choose one special one. And the only measure of your words and your deeds will be the love you leave behind when you're gone.
6: Some girls grow up strong. Some boys are quiet and
4: kind. Some race on ahead, some some follow follow behind. behind. Some grow in their own
8: space and time. Some women love women, and and some men
2: love men. men.
8: Some raise children, and some
6: And dream all the day, never reaching the end of everything possible for you. Don't be rattled by names, by taunts or games, but seek out out spirits true. If you give your friends the best part of yourself, they will give the same back to you. You can be anybody that you want to be. You can love. Can travel
2: any
8: country where your heart leads,
6: and know oh, I will love you still. You can live by yourself. You can gather friends
8: around. You can choose one special
7: one, and the. Old
6: will be the love you leave behind when you're gone. Oh, the love you leave behind
4: when you're gone.